As always, this episode of the Blue Hawaii Podcast brought to you by Homebrew in Paradise. Homebrew in Paradise. 740 Mo'ova Street in Kulihikai. Holy. I'm Leilani Poli Ahu. Ahui Ho. Holy. Holy. Yeah. Yeah. Holy is a perfectly good word. Welcome back to the Blue Hawaii Podcast. Our next guest, Ikai Kahasi, is a social entrepreneur, community advocate, publisher, teacher, and all-around renaissance man. He runs the Hawaii Independent, an award-winning local news publication that tells the story of our islands from a distinctly local, indigenous, and progressive vantage point, as well as Summit Magazine, Hawaii's magazine of ideas and style for the global citizen. And last, but certainly not least, he's running to be the next city councilman for Honolulu's District 6, which stretches from Makiki through Aiea. Ikaika Hasi, welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you very much. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. Good. Awesome. So you're here. Uh... This is an interview. Tell us your story. So, you know, I, I wanted to share a bit kind of uh, how I arrived at having a, what I would call a progressive uh, vantage point. And yeah. f- so for me, it, it came actually from growing up in a, in a, in a strong progressive Catholic family. You know, my parents are, my mom is Filipino. My dad is part Hawaiian, um, you know, Hawaiian Holly. And the one thing that everyone could agree on was Catholicism. <laughs> and I remember growing up, um, you know, there was, there's a few times where we're like, um, uh, I remember being a, a little kid, like four or five years old. And, uh, my, my mom, we had just gone shopping at Safeway in Kaneohe where I grew up and we were pulling out of the parking lot and an old Japanese man rapped on the window. He knocked on the window of our car and he was begging for food. And I, I remember very distinctly my mother rolling down the window and without hesitation, reaching into the back seat into the bag of groceries and just handing it to this man without hesitation. And what I learned from that, what I, what I internalized from that is that you, for one, you should share whenever someone asks, you don't hesitate, you know? And the, and the second thing is that all people deserve to be treated with dignity that, you know, the, the Christian idea of, um, that, that you see Christ in all people, Mm -hmm. you know, and, I have a very complex relationship, as all adult Catholics do, I think, yeah. sure. with the actual ideas of Catholicism and the... And, um, the institution of it? The institution, yeah. and also the, the mysteries of, of, of it. Yeah. Um, the idea, it's a lot to unpack. The actual ideas of transubstantiation and all these things. It's, it's, it's very complex. I've had a lot of wonderful, <laughs> deep conversations with my parents about it mm-hmm. and stuff over the years. But what it boils down to me is that all people matter. You know, you don't get to choose rich or poor. You have to like, you have to just believe. Well, we do it. now. Well, unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> and I'm voting against we that call it, idea. Uh, winners and losers. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, so for me, that's where I come from, and and uh, I think that that's the best way, at least for me, to um, explain my political orientation is that it's about seeing that all people are 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 important are important. Basically, if I can understand it, you are filtering your politics through the lens of your faith but your faith is not the bigoted evangelical kind it's more the we should actually love people and we should actually take care of people and yeah, we should and, and uh, you know I'll, I'll be honest i i'm not a i mean i'm not a practicing catholic i don't okay. take my kids to to uh to mass every sunday um and i i attend mass with my family on easter and christmas because it's a family thing you know it's a it's a sure it's a shared cultural, activity yeah. it's a cultural activity um so for me, it's not about faith. It's just about worldview. It's about 
perspective and how to see people mm-hmm. you know for me it's not a ho- quote-unquote homeless person to yeah. me that's i mean coming from a uh, my background in the in the hawaiian movement mm-hmm. uh we've always articulated that particular issue as about houselessness those are people for whom hawaii is their home they just happen to not be able to afford a house Shelter. yeah right and so for me it's a political economic question it's not a value judgment on the mm-hmm. on the intrinsic value of that person mm-hmm. yeah um just a little off topic but since you since you brought it up uh what do you what do you think about pope francis and generally like the 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 view he's espoused since coming in and trying to get back to all these these exact sort of things you're talking about he is uh he, he makes me have respect for the catholic church yeah, absolutely. It's it's inspiring. And it's also, it's, it's about time. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, it's about time that this incredibly rich and powerful um, institution yeah. starts to advocate beyond its obvious, you know, its, um, its comfort zone and talk about the things that affect all people. What's yeah. funny too, like if you, if you ever read the gospel, uh, Jesus says a lot of things like, you know, this is not going to be popular with people. Like if you do these things, if you behave in the way that I'm telling you, if you treat the rich and poor very equally, you're going to catch a lot of crap for it. And I think Christians sort of take it, they internalize it a lot as being a Christian myself. It's like, we sort of internalize that and go, Oh, what he's saying is if I'm a Christian, people will get angry at me. And it sort of creates this like inborn victim mentality that you see fomenting in evangelical culture. But what he really meant in that is that if you do what Francis is doing, if you say, Hey, I know you're rich. I don't care. I'm going to take care of the poor guy because that's who Jesus said is, you know, blessed are the poor that people get really pissed off with you. And if you look at all the fracturing and all the pushback that Francis is getting across the globe, I'm not even a, not even a Catholic, but the amount of pushback he's getting and people who are outright just ignoring the things that he says in the, the papal line of power is, it's almost self-evident of the teachings of what Jesus said. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's to me, it's the most fascinating religious thing that's happening right now on earth is that this guy's actually running the church. How Jesus said, I want you to run the church. And then everybody who's supposedly a member, not everybody, but a lot of people who are supposedly members of the church and believe in it are getting super pissed off. Within and the leaving. power structure. For Within sure. the power structure. The cardinals yeah. and yeah, they, yeah. they're completely, it's like an, it's like a revolt in a lot of ways. Okay. So well, that's a good sign, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That means we're doing something right. But yeah. it also, what does it portend for our culture when you think we want to run our culture, not in a Christian way, but in a way that says you are poor and I want to help you or you are, you know, hurting and I want to help heal however I can. Like, it shows that that work is going to be very arduous and very difficult. And maybe it's sort of sign of the times with yeah. what we're seeing in reactionary political movements. Yeah. I mean, um, for, for years I was, the uh, I was the clerk. That's the term of the, uh, of the local chapter of AFSC, the American Friends Service Committee, which mm-hmm. is sort of the political arm of the Quaker church. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the thing I've always loved about the Quaker faith is it has this idea of prophetic, um, I forget what they, I don't know if they would call it politics, but basically doing things simply because it is right. You mm-hmm. know, like you stand up against against bigotry. You mm-hmm. stand up for you know LGBT yeah. equality for simply pa- for pacifism against militarism. Right, but, exactly. Yeah. Simply because of the correctness of that position, mm-hmm. and and you just 
sort of believe you have a kind of faith that you know that it's interesting in in the hawaiian language um the there's two words which often get used similarly in english mm-hmm. uh hope and faith mm-hmm. right so the word for hope is manaolana which means literally um kind of like a floating idea and if you think about that kind of, that's kind of how hope works right it's an ascendant um, aspiration right the word for faith though is paulele which means to stop jumping stop leaping hmm. and i've loved that idea that those two things are sort of opposites right manalana is something that's floating up out there in the heavens and faith is very grounded it's grounded right and it, it, it there's other f- uh, terms which i really love like onipa'a uh, the word onipa, which means like resilient or steadfastness, mm. it's it's actually an internal it's an internal contradiction, uh, because oni means to move and, and pa means to stay firm. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that those contradictions are um, are quite beautiful. Yeah. And you can spend a lot of time and I think derive a lot of meaning by by meditating on on those ideas and thinking about what it means to have a politics which allows for flexibility, but is also steadfast and firm in your core beliefs or, you know, what you think is pono, what is right. And that's uh, regardless of faith. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, mean, yeah, it doesn't, yeah. whether you're a person of faith or not, or yeah. of any different faith, I mean. But it, it matters a lot. Meditating on those ideas is, yeah, it's so yeah. valuable. But it matters a lot when you're, uh, you know, when you're the person who is in charge of, like in the case of the city council, when you're one out of nine votes mm-hmm. and you have 900,000 to a million people that are depending on you making the right choice around something as basic and fundamental as housing mm-hmm. or as long-term as climate change. I mean, these are incredibly, I mean, I, I think a lot about how we need to make decisions in a very short amount of time around like climate change mitigation and adaptation. And we have like, you know, a decade to to really think about the future the long-term future of this island uh, and it's overwhelming but it's also just the right amount of seriousness that i think that we need to have when we're contemplating these things i mean we've lived on this island for two thousand years mm-hmm. you know at the at the higher end um of the calculate of the you know of the what is it, archaeology yeah. or whatever we should be having that same, you know, we should imagine that we, should, that we don't want to live here for another 2,000 years. If, if we don't have that sort of long-term vision, uh, then I think we're thinking about things the wrong way. Speaking of long-term vision and, and important issues, uh, you were uh, a self-professed progressive. Um, I've confessed, yes, I'm a progressive. <laughs> <laughs> uh, tell us, I mean... In terms of your in terms of your policies versus the policies of your maybe your opponents or even of other people on the city council, how do you how do you differ? Where do you match up? So you know, there's there are uh, some kind of key issues where it becomes easy to see the difference, Mm -hmm. Um, but there's also some broader things which I think are more sort of philosophical, and uh, you know, comes down to your perspective and worldview. So there's things like, I, I disagree with um, Councilmember Fukunaga's vote on the styrofoam ban and the single-use plastics and ban. Councilwoman Fukunaga is the incumbent, incumbent in your district, that's, just that's for right. clarity. Right. Okay. 
And so, I mean, that's that's sort of an easy one because mm-hmm. she would have, you know, we would have opposing votes on those sure. very simple bills. And she voted against the styrofoam ban, correct? correct. That's right. And yeah. against the single-use plastic. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And I haven't had a chance to speak with her about why she voted the way that she did, um, you know. But there's also there's there's other things which uh, I, I think I would have a different, um, and hopefully, hopefully we could arrive at points of of um, you know where everyone sort of merges and we sure. can come to yeah. see the same view. The so so things like climate change, I yeah. I have a very kind of for me uh, a clear vision of how I think we need to be contemplating yeah. um, that particular problem, that particular question. And we, we should also mention too, uh, you shout out to your significant other, you're actually part, uh, we talked about your family background and how that informs your politics. You're actually part of one of Hawaii's premier uh, progressive power couples. Oh, really? Yeah. We we made that list. We made that list. We'll, we'll submit it to the magazine so that you can put it in there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. For your, for your progressive bona fides uh, and those of you listening at home, uh, Ikaika met his spouse, Marty Townsend, while working together on state education policy at the Hawaii State House of Representatives. Uh, and their first date was a union rally. That's true. Local and five they rally. were married yes. a week after ending a nonviolent occupation at UH opposing classified military research. Yeah. Uh, and she's uh, head of the Hawaii chapter of the Sierra Club. That's so right. if you want to know yeah. so what do you th- the so- biggest uh, progressive dorks, in Hawaii, it's Ikaika. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> Credit, nothing to be ashamed of. No, no, no. But no, I, no. I, um, when you you know things like climate change, things like the styrofoams, the plastics. How much um, do you do you and you know with the experience of the Sierra Club? Can you talk a little bit about the role that the city council can play in en- environmental protection? Because we think about it in like a state like legislative issue, um, but really the city has a big role to play too. Yeah, sure. I mean, p- part of the reason why this the city has to play those kind of roles is because, frankly, the state hasn't. And yeah. the feds, you know, forget the about feds it right now. Anything. Oh, like, that's right. There's a federal yeah. government yeah. too. Uh, I almost so, forgot. Scott Pruitt is too busy. Uh, you know what? We don't even have to go into that. I, so to, to talk about climate change, uh, just a moment, I, and I want to let you answer, but I was very alarmed this week because I was at Ala Moana Beach Park. Uh, mainland listeners, that's one of the biggest, most beautiful beach parks in uh, the entire state of Hawaii. Uh, it's right on the island of Oahu, right near a giant mall and a lot of building, a lot of condo buildings. It's just a great place to go hang out. And uh, they were putting sandbags up on the wall because of king tides anticipated to be coming in. When I moved here in 2012, that was never a concern. And now, just six years later, we're having to worry about the water coming in an additional 130 feet, maybe, maybe 100, maybe there may 100 feet, uh, and then exceeding the height of a two and a half foot wall. I mean, that's a lot of change in a very short period of time. Yeah. I, so what bums me out even more <laughs> is that I remember being in, in sixth grade. So I'm 40 years old. I was in sixth grade in 1990. And I remember in sixth grade reading about uh, cap and trade. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the the idea that companies can essentially buy and sell carbon rights mm-hmm. to each other, uh, which has only very recently come into being. But, you know, that was 1990 that we were talking about that. I remember reading about it in our newspaper. And to think that those decades have elapsed and now we're at the point where we have to put sandbags on the wall at Ala Moana because we didn't take adequate measures. We've actually gone further away nationally, and I think, in terms of even recognizing that. We're speeding away right now. Yeah. 
Right. As the water uh, arrives, we yeah. are we are leaving. We have abandoned nationally the uh, the global conversation. On well, that's because change. the water is not rising in the same way or it's not as noticeable a rise in places like Corpus Christi or Perhaps, places like, you know, Gulf Shores, Alabama I mean, or Daytona, Florida. President Trump has property in Manhattan, which which is taking very expensive, severe measures to protect against global warming and, and um, sea level rise. So it's not like he doesn't understand this stuff intellectually. His investments are imperiled because yeah. of climate change. He refuses uh, to understand it because of political reasons. Well, because of the be, politics. He, well, he's going to be dead in yeah. a certain number of years. And uh, probably As we all are, yeah. just yes. to remember. Yeah. Ashes, before, ashes, dust to dust, yeah. bring it back to Catholicism. That's, yeah, I thought you weren't a Catholic anymore. No, uh, it's it's going to it's gonna happen. And like he, But the thing is, is everybody in power at the federal level will all be dead. And they don't care because, I mean, arguably their generation has screwed everybody in every step of the way. And what's one more finger as they walk out the door into the grave? You said it better than I could, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I mean, the thing is, I, uh, I'm i not willing to concede the politics to them. I think that if, if they're not going to do a good job of uh, protecting us, then we need to do a good job of protecting us. And we need to, and, you know, I think a lot about my kids. I have three children, 11, 9, and 3. And, you know, my 9-year-old and the 11-year-old, too. I mean, they, they both totally get these issues, but they're also you know, seven to nine years away from being able to vote sure. on these issues. And that's exactly the amount of time in which we need to get our act together mm-hmm. and make some serious amendments to our climate, uh, you know, our, our carbon usage. So in some ways, I, I think that um, we need to advocate on behalf of the future. Absolutely. That's our job as adults, you know, Absolutely. to stand up for the people who come in. So uh, we mentioned, we mentioned uh, the incumbent already, just to get a little bit into it, you know, um, running against this is not your first foray into politics. No, um, I've forayed before. <laughs> running against the incumbent is not enough to just say vote for me. You also got to convince people to not vote for the people that the person they've been voting for. Uh, you can also pretend that there's no one else in the race. And that's actually in Hawaii. <laughs> too. In Hawaii, we are not a super. Uh, we do not vote at very high rates. We are not a very informed no. voting populace, unfortunately. So that might actually work more often than not. Um, but yeah, what is what's your what's your what's your pitch? What 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 makes you qualified, and what would you bring that is currently not being brought? Yeah, you're you're, you're making me think, Josh. Maybe I should just buy a bunch of whiteout and just <laughs> fix the ballots. Just it, you're not gonna we're not gonna. Or prevent. they also say they also say um, if your last name starts with A, right? So you got to just like get down to the name change. Ikaika uh, <laughs> a hussy? Uh, yeah, ready? a hussy. Well, that's why we got to talk to Lieutenant Governor Kim Coakley Wamoto. Oh, and, and get seamless, her to seamless. Our, alum of the show, yeah, alum, yeah friend of the show, alum yeah. of the show. So the thing is, you know, um, the I think you're you're right. I mean, there's certainly some voters who are very well informed and they read all the news stuff they visited actual campaign websites sure. and read the the stuff and they email email me about why i said such and such on my my website um but that's true most voters are statistically most voters are what are called low information voters uh and so i think the challenge though is to is to actually go and talk to them and then articulate the issues in a way that can be understood and but most importantly that they can act on i mean i think ultimately the the goal of the political campaign and the goal of the candidate is it i will concede it is to get elected sure but there is a greater goal 
which is to build a political movement. And you know, if you look at the way that the Republicans were able to build the 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 modern conservative movement, oh. it's because of the Goldwater campaign. You know, and in the, and the aftermath of countless that, billions of dollars from the Koch and Mercer family, the billions helped. Yeah, yeah that's true. And the fusion with uh, the religious right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. The deal with the devil. All yeah. of these things. Yeah. Helped in sure. some way. Uh, but I think. But it started with Goldwater. You know, and one of my mentors was um, it was Jogi Heen, and uh, he was a former legislator. Um, and his family is, is you know, it's the Heen family, which mm-hmm. is very um, long uh, and very, uh, you know, I think a wonderful Hawaii political family. You know, for instance, one of Jogi Heen's, um, I think his uncle was the, was the attorney in the Massey case defending Joseph Kahawai. Oh, wow. Um, Kahawai. <laughs> Did I get the name right? So, I mean, Lis- listeners, um, for, especially on the mainland, Long, long story short, essentially, um, during the territory days, back when the U.S. Navy occupied and basically ran the state of Hawaii. Um, the territory. Territory. Ter- 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 <laughs> uh, an officer's wife accused a group of, were they all Hawaii? Some Hawaiian, some Japanese? I, I don't know. Um, a, accused a group of uh, young men of uh, assaulting her, uh, totally made up, and a vigilante lynch mob went after them and killed a young man named Joseph Kahavai. Um uh, basically, long story short, even shorter, sham trial, They, um, the lynch mob, who are all Navy folks and friends of the husband, did an hour of jail in on the Admiral's ship in the harbor, and they were set free to go. Uh, huge scandal in, in flames, basically race injustice, showcases everything going on back then. I uh, hope I did that justice. No, no, you're right. And, you know, what's interesting is Joseph Kahalvai's grave, yeah. his gravesite. Have you been there, Josh? No, but... It's, it's, in, Kali- well, it's in Kapalama Heights. Mm-hmm. Um, in your in your home, Off of, yeah, off of School Street. Yeah. And across the street from a new Rainbow Drive-In. Uh, very convenient. Yeah, so you yeah. can go check out the grave and also get a burger after. <laughs> but the, 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 his, um, his tombstone says, Joseph Kahalvai murdered yeah. on the date. You know what yeah. the date was. And that's remarkable that the... The, the tomb says murdered as opposed to died. Yep. Um, and anyways, I was talking about Jogi Heen. Anyways, his philosophy was that there are two forces in politics, roughly speaking. There's money mm-hmm. and then there's people. Yeah. And uh, the other guys, if the other guy's people, if the other guy has money, then what you need to focus on is building the people. A hundred percent right. Yep. We, we and, actually just, we were talking about that on a previous episode where, I mean, you can look at it as in politics, you can look at it in the economy. You can look, I mean, it, sure. it is the, I mean, I guess those two sort of go hand in hand, the money and the economy thing, but like that is the number one, that is the number one conflict facing all of America. Everything. Right now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's how do we, how do yeah. we as the people in a time of the fastest growing wealth inequality in our country's history, how do we organize back against that and protect right. our futures? Right. And you know, ultimately, I believe that people are more important than money. Radical thing to say. I <laughs> yeah. realize that. <laughs> yeah. Nonetheless, it is my crazy belief. Okay, Carl. Karl Marx, whatever. <laughs> I'm going to read something off your website that we really liked. Uh, you said, quote, My vision is for Honolulu to embrace its name, Sheltered Harbor. In this vision, Honolulu is a progressive, modern, and forward-looking city connected through trade, diplomacy, and ideas to world markets and the global community. 
But we achieve this vision by investing in our citizens, preparing our keiki for a world which is increasingly unequal, unpredictable, and untenable. How do we do that? So I think it's actually about, uh, like I, I use the word investing um, thoughtfully. Mm-hmm. You know, the monies that we spend on things like education, that's an investment. The monies that we spend on our public parks, which are sort of dilapidated right now, that's, that's true. another investment. Yeah. Uh, when, so I, for me, it's about, um, you know, I really like the way that, like, for instance, Scandinavian countries think about economic development. You, you grow your economy by making sure that the kids can read and write. Mm-hmm. Which is true. That's the way to do it. Yeah. And, it, you know, it's, it's not something that Scandinavia gets to own outright. Our philosophy in Hawaii in the 1840s, 1850s, 1860s was exactly that. The kingdom of Hawaii was the most literate place on earth. Yeah. Exactly. It was 100%, 100%, 100% literacy. It was the first country in the right. world, as I recall, yeah. to achieve 100% literacy. That's right. We did that. We did that. And I like to remind people of that about that because a lot of times, you know, we sort of forget that there was a Hawaii that existed before yeah. English. Uh, Yolani Palace place. had electricity before the White House did. Yeah. You know, so we need to really own that part of our history. You know, our history is really old. Yeah. You know, I look at, for instance, the fish ponds. Like the in, in Heia, on the windward side of Oahu, there's a fish pond that's 800 years old. Yeah. Wow. And to me, that's how we need to think about public works projects. Yeah. We need to build public works projects, which is what that fish pond is, that have that same sort of longevity, the same kind of utility. Uh, and... You know, we're we're building a rail system right now, um, which haven't heard anything about it. So here's the news, Josh: <laughs> we're building a rail system. But I'm sure we've done a good job of keeping yeah. it on time and under budget. That's what they though, say: right? on time, on budget. That's what my problem is. It's going to be underwater, like not just economically, but also, you know, wet. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, right now, four depends on how you count it, but between four to seven of the rail stops in town are within the sea level rise oh God. Um, exposure area, Slorexa, as the scientists are calling it. And thankfully, our local climate change commission just came out with a document which said that we need to actually plan based on on a six-foot um, rise in the sea levels over the next 100 years, within the next 100 years. That's really high. It's very high. And the thing is... Um, Planning means that we need to take in, take it into account um, for our major infrastructure, our critical systems like rail. Mm-hmm. You know, and the thing is, you rail is only one part of it. You know, one of the reasons why our our brothers in the in the construction trades, um, the, you know, the reason why they support rail is also because of the housing that it mm-hmm. it brings. You know, we have what's called transit oriented development, which uh, conglomerates. Um, around the, the the rail stops, mm. and it's a, it's a very important thing. Um, it allows us to move to become a city that is less dependent on automobiles and more dependent on feet. That's good, um, but it doesn't help us to build a ton of housing that's within a flood zone. Yeah, we need to actually. One thing that I believe very strongly is that we need to move rail Malka towards the towards the mountain, away from the ocean and away from that sea level rise. Uh, exposure area and also provide for more housing opportunities 
I think we can actually really address our housing crisis mm -hmm. by moving rail and building more housing Mauka. It's very and important. Housing is a huge issue in your district. Yeah, it's it's a huge issue within the state. You know, 7,000 people left Hawaii this year, or last year, I should say. They left Oahu in particular because it's too expensive, mm -hmm. because the housing is too expensive. And, um, you know, we need to... We need to think about that number. That's the number which I think should scare everyone. That's the overall net. Like yeah. we're losing more people than we're bringing in. Well, we're yeah. losing. We're losing talent a lot of times too. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we're you know we want to be competitive, even even as progressive. I'm I'm, I'm sure uh, this will come a shock to many people, but we like making money and we like having prosperous communities. And the way you do that is by having good talent. And we're losing a lot of people because they just can't afford to make a life here. Right. You know, and I'm not like an expert on this stuff I, I rely on people who are really smart sure. to 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 write books that i can go and read or talk to me about. i stuff. can't trust experts they told me that on fox news <laughs> but you know one thing that i understand worked well in new york city to attr to attract uh talented people is you create affordable housing because mm -hmm. affordable housing is what allows young people to go to school there yep. to work there to build businesses to the artists enterprises. the creatives the, exactly all sorts yeah. of people who, and yeah. you know that's really the vanguard of the economy with automation, so much of our economy is going to be lost to robots. It mm -hmm. makes sense for us to invest in creativity, in ingenuity, and yeah. things that cannot be algorithm algorithmized. You know, yeah. whatever to, that word, especially programmed. Yeah. yeah, you know, we need to uh, we need to emphasize our particular human strength, which is our creativity. This is, so speaking of creativity, this isn't directly related to your campaign, but it does tie in with politics and the economy and money and what we've been talking about. Can you talk a little bit about, especially uh, in this very unique time we live in, in 2018, uh, media? You're a media guy. Um, just tell us about the media landscape, what it's like trying to run a media business, you know, the bottom line, the, the many pressures you're facing, the sort of like post-truth era we live in, where truth is all relative and everybody can pick their own audience, their own information. What are you just, I know this is a, this is like seven questions packed into one, but can yeah. you just talk a little bit about so, your thoughts on that? You know, I, I wonder if if we'll if we will look back on the the time period of like roughly nineteen forty to two thousand fifteen. You yeah. know, kind of the the pre Facebook or I don't know what year is Facebook two thousand six two thousand six. Okay, so the two thousand six backwards to the post war era. Yeah, as as an anomaly because if you look at media, for instance, in the United States. Yeah. Prior to that period, you know, we have the penny press and you have sure. essentially um, prior to the penny press, you have an era where media is really uh, highly partisan. Yeah. Right. Every political party has their own newsletter, their own newspaper. Hawaii was the same way. We had 90 different Hawaiian language newspapers mm -hmm. and they were fighting against each other, which I think is really good. Like we, we actually need a world where dialogue yeah. and, sure. and conversation is the norm and not just something that. You know, it's been replaced in Hawaii with a, a "don't make waves" yeah policy, basically, where people don't criticize, they don't say what's on their mind. Yeah. So, I, I think we're kind of getting back to that in some way, but it's in, in some ways it's more atomized now because of social media and the way that it's able to uh, allow for voices which really don't deserve any any attention to yeah. be um, your Alex Joneses of the world, etc. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know how to solve that. Um, except that I do Well, then think, what good are you? No, well, you know, I, I do think actually one an antidote, mm -hmm. I get an antidote and anecdote mixed up in my brain all the time. <laughs> so I think one antidote to this is actually 
real conversation. You're right. Bringing people together outside of their homes, outside of the confines of their smartphone, and uh, put them in a room. Yeah. Like, find, this, like this one? Like Ryan's basement? I, I, I fear, though, that the three of us actually agree on too much. That's probably fair. <laughs> but people's, people have to go talk to their uncle that they, yeah. don't, dis, that they don't agree with. Yeah. So I, I hear that argument, and I think there's some validity to it, but I, I don't think that we agree on too much as... I don't think there's so there's not such a thing as agreeing as agreeing on too much of a true thing mm, in my okay. mind because it's truth as because because it's truth right and I well, think the, the thing is truth is all relative well now. that's that's the the bigger issue is I, I that, saw that tweet yeah you're right what what's <laughs> what's <laughs> what the issue is that we you know we agree on things I think we probably disagree about a lot of things but in the same way that when you agree on so much that your disagreements become amplified mm-hmm when you disagree on a lot of things, your agreements become amplified. And so like, we probably, my guess is that we do disagree on quite a few things, Mm. but that because of the current political climate, now it just feels like we're in a very homogenous place Mm. um, as being people who believe in progressive ideas or progressive policies. Like there's so many ways to skin that cat, Uh, no offense to cats. Uh, but I think with... I mean, yeah, like we'll be, it looks like we'll be relitigating Bernie versus Hillary 2016 until we all die. Yeah, like... Let like, alone before we can even, well, you know, stand I, up to Trump. When, I mean, I remember this very clearly when President Obama was in office, you and I would talk about policy all the time and I would be like, I, I disagree with you on that. Like, I see why you feel that way. Mm-hmm. I just disagree. But it was because we had the luxury of doing so. But now when everything is so... When, when one side goes so far off the beaten path it sort of pulls the spectrum in a certain direction. And if you stay where you are, you all of a sudden look much more compressed in, in where you are on the spectrum with other people near you. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. That, that's, that's personally how I feel. And so I, when I talk to my family who's very conservative, uh, and I have so many family members who are very conservative, um, what I find myself trying to do is, is essentially, it, it's not even just, talk to them it's more just telling them like if you if you have the conversation just you literally just have to be like no that's wrong like and not like not in a condescending way but just in like a what you're saying is not a factually truthful statement like and i can prove it to you and we'll just go through every single one of them and i will fact check you on every single assumption that you've made until i show you that what you've said is empirically false and you can continue to believe it but you also need to acknowledge to yourself that it's not me over here on standing where I've been politically for so long. Who's the radical? That's the radical. You're the one that's moved and I can prove it to you and here's how I'm going to do it. And I don't mean that to, to, to necessarily rebut your statement. It's just kind of a commentary on the greater political atmosphere that I've, that I've noticed yeah. and homogenization of progressive views. There's a great video that I saw on Facebook. <laughs> Uh, I think it was by George Lakoff. Um, Lakoff was talking about um, that when you're dealing with people who are, uh, you know, from the conservative end of the spectrum, Mm -hmm. that a lot of times they simply have a different way of... of, It's like what arguments appeal. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, so for example, something like immigration, you. you don't go, have some compassion, have some humanity. You go... These people want to be American citizens. They want to work hard. They want to pay their taxes. They want to contribute. 
Yeah. That's something like that. Or the, the other one that I, the initial one that I saw on that same vein was yeah. uh, when you talk about environment, you don't talk about environmentalism. You say, well, for a conservative, you say, well, God created the earth so that we, and we're supposed to steward his creation. And that's like a proven way to get conservatives to be like, oh, maybe we should go. No, nah, okay. I see that. Yeah. This also makes me think about how education is one of those education, you know, when, when kids are young to actually receive an education, yeah. th that's a, a good opportunity to teach critical thinking skills, sure. media literacy, oh, yeah. uh, and also, you know, facts. Like if, if we can instill the facts early, then it'll be harder for them to be, you know, um, dislodged through the craziness of, of modern media later. Well, one of the problems in conservative culture, though, that, that, that I grew up in is that it's it skews towards authoritarianism, uh, which comes as no surprise to anyone who's ever seen what conservative movements do run amok. Uh, in that you're incredible, you're taught to not question authority. You're taught to question like certain ideas, but it's hard whenever like if your teacher tells you X, you just are supposed to believe X. You're not supposed to go. Well, wait, hold on. What about this? Which when I got to Hawaii which is a not authoritarian skewing culture, that was really hard for me to just be like, no, I think that's a dumb idea what you just said. Actually, you know, I want to counter that because I do think that there is a, uh, a, there is a thread that runs through local culture, uh, both in terms of it's like our Asian antecedents and also the native Hawaiian antecedents where there is a tendency towards authoritarianism. No make waves. Yeah, you see it in the no make waves. You see it in, uh, I mean, there's a lot of Hawaiian families which have a very kind of like vertical structure, sure. you know, and and where the parent-child model is all about um, controlling the child. And, you know, so there is, I, I think, you know, as Foucault said in the intro to one of, uh, I think it was the intro to Anti-Oedipus, he wrote about how everyone has like a little fascist. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, so wrong. there is... There is a tendency here for that. And we just got to, um, I don't know, militate against it, hug our way out of it somehow. I was, I was, when I was at UH, I was chatting with this uh, Italian exchange student and he said, basically, uh, I, I had a, I had a world cup, Italy, like 1934, 1930, which is, they won the world cup when Mussolini was in charge. And I, and he said something like, oh, you know about Mussolini, right? And I said, oh yeah, but don't worry. I'm not a fascist. He goes, uh, maybe a little bit of fascism okay like a little, just a little bit so like you know especially italian culture like you gotta get those trains to run man like yeah. otherwise you know garbage isn't gonna get picked up like man that's I, we've talked about before that's what the guys in uh in isis occupied mosul said they were like they're like the when bureaucrats ISIS, showed up they're like when isis was here the trash got picked up more the mm -hmm. street lights got fixed the potholes were better mm -hmm. and they're like oh, having it's the thing is like it's basically it's not fascism it's institutional institutional authority accountability and, and accountability and, and sometimes like, the accountability is a little extreme but yeah, yeah. i mean anyways that's I, mean, I, I think the other the other thing there though is yeah. that Ikaika, that's not a kaika hussey's view though no ikaika <laughs> hussey does not condone no. fascism in any form no but what i do hear in those statements is is, is something that i hear here as well which is that um, people care about the things that they care about yeah you know and if if your problem is uh the water isn't clean or the pothole needs to be fixed then if that's the thing that matters to you, then it's really incumbent on the the people with the ability to deal with that problem to go out and work on that. Mm -hmm. And I think the other, the other thing that we need to do as progressives is to 
um, build community organizations that can also address yes. those those key things. Well, no, I mean, Domino's Pizza is doing pothole filling, so the free, mar- the free <laughs> is, market is, is solving it, right? Oh, good. <laughs> I'm glad the libertarians are getting That's involved. That's the, uh, yeah, so let's cut the taxes again. Uh, let's talk about another thing in your districts. I, I think you, you brought up a really good point, which is, um, you know, we're talking about climate change. We're talking about planning for the future and these more existential threats. Uh, when we've talked with other local officials in the past, though, they say what their constituents are concerned about is, hey, like that pothole is really bad and it, you know, blew my tire. I have to get my alignment done every every few months or, or get an alignment every few months. Excuse me. Um, so can, how do you balance that? Uh, the sort of ever present needs of like yeah. local life, small with... picture versus big picture. Yeah, exactly. I would say that the big picture stuff helps to get the small picture stuff done. You know, we know we need to uh, very thoughtfully design a future for this city that is less car dependent and you know uh, all that kind of stuff. And as we do that, it'll make it easier for us to uh, uh, both not notice the potholes as much or design a city where. Um, where we're addressing those those very fundamental things. So that that's how I think about it. You know, we, we have to do the big picture stuff because that helps us to solve the small picture things. What about uh one more issue that's come up in your district quite a bit? What about monster homes? Mm, that's a good one. Um, you know, the council has a temporary moratorium on the construction of these 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 homes, and I think we I think that there needs to be a permanent step, which is about moving development pressure out of the older neighborhoods which just can't handle Mm -hmm. those kinds of structures and creating policies which allow for that development pressure to come into places that are or even incentivize exactly yes so places that are already zoned urban uh, but are relatively low density places like Mo'ili'ili where you know, you have King Street, which is a major thoroughfare. It's five lanes or so. and But you have single-story buildings adjacent to it. You know, it's... We go big, go vertical. I think we need to go medium. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's my goal is to go like eight stories up, seven stories up, put retail on the bottom, make it a truly wonderful walking city. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, there's uh, people like Marshall Hung have some good ideas on how to change our... our our land use ordinance, our code, such that you can build those kind of buildings affordably and actually drive the cost of housing down while at the same time creating a better city, you know, like uh, an experientially better city. So I, I, to me, that's how we should be thinking about the monster home thing is, yeah, we should not be building that kind of stuff where they're being built, but yeah. we do need to plan for the future of the island. It's not enough to just say, no, you should provide providing a better alternative. Yeah, yeah. In Thailand, you can get 20 years in prison for insulting the king. In Honolulu, you can get 20% off at Royal Thai Garden for mentioning the Blue Hawaii podcast. Royal Thai Garden, Eva Beach, 96706, the best Thai food, the best Laotian food, the best shrimp. Everything is good. Just go there, eat it. It's great. Mention the Blue Hawaii podcast, get 20% off. 20%. Blue Hawaii. All right, Ikaika, one last question, and we asked this to literally everyone what's your favorite restaurant and why 
Zippies. Can I say Zippies? You absolutely You're the can. second person right, to zippies. say Zippies. Friend of the show, Ashley Loa, trendsetter. Yeah. yeah. Who, who's this? Uh, um, Ashley Loa, episode four, Homelessness in Paradise. She's oh. a coordinator for Family Promise of Hawaii. And yeah. number one best friend of the show. Yeah, Shout true. out to her. Yeah. So you guys have excellent taste. <laughs> Thank you. Well, what you do, get... How do you feel about the oxtail soup, though? Uh, I feel that the grilled cheese sandwich is really, really good. Okay. Okay. And Sorry, Ashley. I'm not going to diss the oxtail soup <laughs> okay. on, on her. You guys can still be friends then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, the grilled cheese is solid. All right. Actually, well, hold on. I just want to say that uh, in my family, yeah. Liliha Bakery is our national oh, restaurant. That's, yeah, and man. shout out to your District 6, too. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, you know, there's lots of I'm zippies. Sure there's there's zippies in District there's 6. Kind of like, there's only one Liliha Bakery. That's well, there's two. There's, there's two. two. Yeah. There's two yeah wait, where's the other one again? They opened it up. In, uh, yeah, there's right. one in on Nimitz. Oh, by Sam Choice. Yeah, yeah, So the thing with Liliha Bakery is that my mom worked there like mm. you know 45 years ago and um we have this beautiful relationship where my my mom is recognized as like a a like a a, a, a regular <laughs> customer of zippies they uh, i'm not of zippies but of lily bakery excuse me um when they had their anniversary recently, they had like a special thing they wrote to her. Oh, no way. And, and and we go there all the time. That's it's awesome. That's it's awesome. it is a kind of a nice What do you get? Wonderful thing. What do I get at Zip at uh, Lily Bakery? I usually get the country style omelet uh, with Portuguese sausage that's and brown rice. That sounds really and good. cinnamon toast. And I, the problem is I'm really hungry right now. I'm very so this is as this well. conversation is not helping, guys. Yeah, sorry about that. Sorry <laughs> about on that, that note, uh, we're all about to go get lunch. That's true. Of some sort. Yeah. Um any final thoughts? Yeah. Anything else you'd like what to share with like to home? say? If people want to learn more about you, where can they find out? Uh, my, so my website is ikaikahussi.com. The last thing I would say is that the only thing that has ever worked to make the world a better place, I'm not going to say vote. It's people just getting involved. Yeah. You know, it's it's uh, go and hold a sign, join a group, uh, develop solidarity with other people. Don't just protest on Facebook. Go and join an association. You know, uh, let's go protest and march somewhere. And then also vote, because that's how we uh, we move the entire community forward. Ikaika Hussey, man of the people and candidate for city council, District 6 in Honolulu. Blue Hawaii Podcast. Blue Hawaii. Blue Hawaii. Blue Hawaii. Blue Hawaii. Blue Hawaii.